Are you ready to feel Christmassy? Because this conversation with the extraordinary Charlotte Wood, founder of Polar Post, is exactly that. It is a Christmas sensation. And I just, oh my goodness, I loved it so much. I've been in tears practically the entire podcast because it's so nostalgic. And as Charlotte said, that Christmas allows us to be children again. And her voice, her voice, I mean, she is literally Christmas in a voice, if there is such a thing. You're going to love this podcast because not only is she so vulnerable talking about her journey, but also I think it's just one of the most beautiful examples of building a business that emotionally connects with customers and those that love Polar Post and I know means that she is going to be on Father Christmas's good list forevermore. So stay warm, get a mince pie, pour yourself a glass of mulled wine or a cup of tea and get ready to get cosy with this podcast. Thank you, Charlotte. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. Where we're going, you won't need to bring your frown. I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street for my kitchen table, and since then, I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses, and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to Adobe, who've helped bring this podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Hi, Charlotte. What an absolute pleasure to be speaking to you today. Welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Oh, Holly, thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm so honoured to be here. Well, we finally get some time to have a proper chat and you are the founder of the award-winning and extraordinary and utterly magical Polar Post. And I can imagine you are incredibly busy right now. Have you left the home lately? (laughs) No, in all honesty, we are very much in the Christmas trenches at the moment. And um, I did the drop off at school today for the first time in ages and came out into the world and thought, I mean, it's a horrid day out there, howling wind, but just thought, gosh, it's bright out here and realised I hadn't been out for the best part of a week, actually, which is, but that's that's how it goes this time of year. I can almost imagine you just coming out, your eyes sort of adjusting <laughs> to the light, I'm, you know. Like a little it, mole coming out. <laughs> I was thinking that, a little mole. Now, just for everybody listening here, as a little side note, we all know we have believers around us. Um, Mm -hmm. But today we're going to be talking about Father Christmas and all his elves. And we're lucky that Charlotte might share some secrets of the North Pole. So if anyone has any little ears, then potentially you want to listen to this podcast at a later time when they're not listening. Wink, wink. I think that's a very good call. 
Yes. Can you imagine? Can you only imagine? No, the- I can't. I mean, I, I get stories all the time from people, you know, customers who've left their phone open on the Polar Post page and have said, oh, God, then my child went on to have a look at something and there it was. And I feel <laughs> awful about that sort of thing. <laughs> I really do. Or, you know, they haven't hidden their parcel very well. Yeah. Well, your whole world is literally magical. But I want to take you back to what feels like a magical childhood or the sort of essence of where this business might have come from. Christmas, was it always a joyful occasion? Was there the seeds of magic being planted from a young age? Yes, yes, I think there were. I mean, I don't want to sort of blow a bomb in all of this, but Christmas for us, my parents are both dentists, so... We couldn't ever go far because they were always on call. I don't think my parents have ever, ever had a Christmas where they haven't been on call. And of course, if you're a dentist, Christmas is prime time because what happens? Oh, my goodness. Yes, Holly. People sit down. They break open the quality street. They go straight for that naughty old toffee. (laughs) And before you know it, you know, you're going, "Uh uh-oh. Uh, time to call the dentist. My fillings come out, my crown's loose. So yeah, every Christmas day without fail, we'd get to about four o'clock after the Queen's speech and the phone would ring. I'm in so much pain. And dad would sort of go, was it Was it a toffee? Yeah, yeah, it was. So <laughs> as much as I it was magical. I have never ever <laughs> thought of that, Charlotte. That is just too... <laughs> It's almost like you know your parents would have been waiting for the Queen's speech, going, "Oh no, mm-hmm. they're eating, they're Here it eating. Comes. Here it comes. Here it comes." <laughs> but you also had a lovely sort of tradition, didn't you? Yes, we did. Writing to Father Christmas was a big event in our family, and my brother and I would write our letters, our lists. We'd put them in the fireplace, watch them go up the chimney, and Christmas morning we would get our letter back. And for me, that was where the true magic lay. I was more excited to receive that letter, I think, than than even to open the presents and. There was just something about it, seeing it sitting there next to a half-eaten mince pie and a quickly downed glass of sherry. It just was this, I don't know, little little treasure sitting there. And I think the point that I'm often trying to convey to people as well is that it meant more to me, those letters, as I got older. I think people quite often think, right, well, they're off to secondary school. Mm-hmm. We need to have that conversation. And I think that's a real shame. I really do. And I know all children are different, but I honestly think children don't need, the vast majority don't need to have that conversation. You can work things out in your own good time To actually talk about it, I think, is quite often unnecessary. And I'm really glad that those letters kept coming all through my teenage years, where, frankly, I became sort of, well, less nice, shall we say, Um, (laughs) because... Those words, you know, when when Father Christmas talked about how proud he was of me and the things that I'd done, suddenly took on a new meaning and actually meant more, I think, than perhaps they had before. So I have now this really sort of precious bundle of letters, 
And also, I would say, you know, some of them, <laughs> when you look at them, have been written on a bit of filofax paper. Obviously, Father Christmas <laughs> hadn't <laughs> brought the official paper with him that year. But just as precious, it doesn't have to be super fancy. I mean, I don't want to do myself out of any business here, but it doesn't have to be all singing, all dancing. It's the words that matter and that stay with you, I think. Yeah, I mean, you're so right. I didn't have the conversation. And it's only, I think, maybe when I'm 45 now, maybe when I was 40, yeah. Father Christmas didn't necessarily attend the household anymore. Oh, I can't believe that, Holly. That must have been devastating. I know. God's sake, everything <laughs> stops at 40. <laughs> but what I love is that when researching you, you were saying each year there was a different stamp and there was a different tale, writing paper, shaky signature. And we're going to talk about your business in a moment. But I love golden threads, you know, and it's what the listeners know I refer mm. to all the time, that there are these beautiful golden threads to our childhood. And if we're looking to find out what we potentially want to do in our lives or the passion part or the purpose part, I think going back to our childhood, it's a hidden treasure trove. But when you sort of grew up, I suppose, into school and I heard that school wasn't particularly easy for you. Would you mind telling us about that stage? Yes, I think I went off to school and, you know, I'm one of those people, I could have quite happily lived my life on my mum's lap. You know, I just, I loved home. I loved my parents. I loved the warmth of it and the comfort. And even though I went to a, a very dear little school that was like receiving a big warm hug, to be honest, I still... I found that difficult and I was very quickly labelled as the shy child. And mm -hmm. it's only recently that, you know, I've come to accept that actually I'm not shy. I am quiet and I really need quiet. And I think school is quite a sort of Victorian concept school, isn't it? Yeah. You have to be on all the time. There is no place to hide if you are that quiet person, if you need that quiet time. And I was quite good at trying to take myself off. <laughs> I mean, I did, by the time I got to secondary school, I used to actually climb inside my locker, which makes me sound a bit bonkers, but just to escape from it, nobody knew where I was, just to be quiet for a minute, because I, I sort of need that. I need it now. Yeah. And I think... You know, there's a real case to be made for children who are like that of somehow building a bit of quiet into their day. I think we're getting better at it because my daughter's very similar to me. And she says that in her break time at her school, she's able to go off to there's a little room and they can just go and colour in if they want to at break time, which I think is brilliant. And I think I would have I would have loved that. That's all you need, you know, five yeah. minutes just to recharge the batteries and say, OK, I can go back out. So, yeah, that was definitely one thing. I went to secondary school. It was a very academic school. It was an all-girls school, which it was a huge privilege in, in many, many ways. And certainly I came away from it thinking girls could do anything, which is a wonderful thing. But you weren't encouraged to follow, I suppose, your passions. There was no place really for creativity. We were very quickly sort of shoehorned, I suppose, into a mould. So I really 
you know, I loved making things. And I filled my weekends with just making, making. But at school, it was almost like a sort of dirty word, creativity. Right. Even sort of like A-levels, you weren't able to do A-level art unless you did it as an extra A-level because it didn't, you know. Oh, my goodness. It didn't seem to be valued. That's extreme, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And I think, you know, you take 800 girls, you're immediately narrowing down the field of opportunity for them because out of those 800 girls, how many must have been proper, true creatives that weren't allowed to sort of flourish in that way. And I think that's that's a real sadness. Absolutely. And so that sort of stifling of your creativity, I suppose, it ends up, doesn't it, that you don't go down the creative path and you start working for actually law. I mean, I can't actually quite believe that, knowing what you do now. <laughs> I know. And then into an auction house. Yes. What was that? That was literally because you were being pushed into certain roles yes and you were interested in law no not at all <laughs> not at all um, but it seemed to be what everyone else was doing so I thought well that seems like a good idea because I didn't have any other ideas Holly and I I honestly think it's madness that you have to decide at that tender age what you're going to do with your life yeah and that huge pressure and I just remember feeling so lost and I just wanted to have a plan or for someone to tell me, do this. Yeah. So everybody seemed to be doing law. And I thought that seems like a good idea. I did it with Italian and I spent a year in Italy learning law in one of the oldest universities in the land, Perugia, Padova. What am I talking about? That's all right. Um, <laughs> I just was impressed. I just couldn't even believe that you just studied law in Italian. I mean, for God's sake. Well, I, I sort of didn't because what I used to do was skive off the lectures and I used to go to all the museums and that's where I was just absorbing all the art. And I discovered during that year this phenomenal love of art and really sort of just it was like oxygen to me it wasn't so great for my exam results I must say but I came away having learned a great deal about something that was completely not what I was there to learn about. <laughs> what did your parents think of that? I dread to think but <laughs> I think they were impressed <laughs> on some level but it would take another two years of law so I did the LPC and then it was a chance conversation because you know I needed to get a training contract and I couldn't get a training contract kept going for interviews and I kept walking away thinking I think they liked me but I never got offered a training contract and it was very demoralising and I had a sort of chance conversation with another chap in my year who also was struggling and he said, yeah, but at least it's obvious with you why you're not getting them. And I said, really, what was? And he said, because you're a creative. And it was, uh, it was quite a sort of one of those moments where you think, how dare you? Because being creative, <laughs> I'd been sort of taught that it was this dirty word. I was really shocked. But he said, look, I think you'd be much better. You talk about art all the time. You would be much better off in the art world. So I went and got an internship at an auction house. And, um, and what I loved about that was you had to start at the bottom and work your way up. You know, it's a really sort of old fashioned world. 
So I started as a porter and I was literally sort of shifting around heavy furniture and going into departments, you know, like the antiquities department and just surrounded by shabti and all these incredible things, relics of a bygone era. And it was like that moment in The Wizard of Oz where it goes from black and white to Technicolor because this whole world had opened up to me and it was a world that... I just didn't ever think I'd get to be a part of. And the characters I met, and it it was glorious. It was really just the most happy time. I love that analogy. It really was like that. Yes, it was was a wonderful time. Did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy being... I did. ...in that world of history? And because I can, can again, sort of slightly, we're going to go on to your business, but the nostalgia and story and Mm. history... I think that's it. It's so part of your brand. I think what I discovered, because I ended up in the press office there, what I discovered was that every single object that came into that auction house, it didn't matter what it was, had a story, as you say. And that was my job, was to go and discover what that story was. And, you know, objects aren't just that are they they aren't just objects they they always tell a story and some of the stories i yeah. heard during that time were just phenomenal really incredible things actually one of my favorite christmas memories because i i'm a firm believer that you can plan for christmas and you can buy all the stuff in and everything but the really special moments come when you're not expecting them I don't know what you think about that, but for me, the standout moments have always been the ones that I I never imagined happening. And when I was working for this auction house, I was very fortunate to be a part of the Savoy sale. Do you remember the Savoy had a big renovation? Yes, my goodness. It would have been over 10 years ago. So we were selling all the objects there and there was a lot of press interest. It was a magical three days. We had all these incredible characters coming down to the sale, people who'd stayed there. And I was in charge of letting the BBC in to do the morning shift. And I had to be there at four o'clock in the morning. And I was so grumpy when I was given this job because I just thought, oh, you know, I'm not a morning person, Holly. And so (laughs) I had a a car came and got me at four and I went down to the Savoy and they sort of let me in the security guard. And I got in and I realised there was no one else there. And the BBC hadn't arrived yet. And I had half an hour on my own. The sale was held over just before Christmas. This enormous Christmas tree in the foyer. And I had half an hour just being in the Savoy on my own entirely. And looking out across the Thames and thinking, this is pure magic. I mean, how many people can say that they've been the only person in this incredible... I think I might be Holly. <laughs> I know. Um, and, and just thinking this is this. Yeah, this is going to take some beating. Gosh, incredible. So you had this magical. Well, we're going to go on to something else about Christmas, really, because mm. you had this magical moment, like you said, with these amazing moment, the Savoy moment. But you also had another incredible moment, which was you say is a sort of sliding doors moment, how your business got started. Might you tell us the story? Because I know it started with a redundancy. So I was made redundant when I had my first baby, Rose. 
At the time, I'd been a PA and I'd been doing that whilst I was trying to write a children's book. And so I suddenly found myself without a job and a little baby. And I had no idea really what to do, except that I knew I had to do something. And it's funny, we were sort of looking at the About Me page the other day on Polar Post. And when you read that, it it all sounds quite jolly. And I think actually Polar Post came from a place of darkness Mm -hmm. in a way and it was a real sort of shining light for me in a way out of that darkness because I had Rose and I had always wanted a baby always always I was one of those children who wanted a baby and this maternal instinct was really strong in me same here yeah yes it's an odd thing isn't it you can actually Mm. track back to Mm. I think I can track back to being well I used to get my sister who's five years younger than me oh my god it's too cringy and we would go out (laughs) she's five years younger than me so she's two yeah you know and I'm seven yeah and I made her call me mum everywhere so lovely though I would make sure that the shopkeepers heard her call me mum and so that is like my literal earliest memory is that I just knew I wanted to be a mum I totally understand that feeling Yes, I think in some people it is very strong. And I, for that reason, found, you know, dolls very hard to sort of put away because I loved that. I loved getting them dressed. And and I suppose that was how I imagined motherhood to be, a bit like having a doll. And it's, it's not. And when she was born, it was a horrible, horrible birth that went on for days. And very quickly afterwards, this sort of darkness descended. And I sort of find it quite hard to talk about even now, because I do feel very guilty about that time, I suppose. I think anybody who's gone through that does. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really leave you. And I just wasn't at all myself. I would just cry having a conversation with anybody. I felt afraid all the time. And I went from being someone who craved time on their own to not being able to be on my own for a second. And that was really, really odd for me. You know, I remember just sort of begging my husband not to leave and go to work, which must have been horrendous for him. But I was completely lost. And it was a sort of darkness where there was no... There was no chink of light that could get in at all. And you feel so awful about it because you think, I've wanted this baby my entire life and I'm not being the best mum for her. But anyway, I ended up, I did a lot of television watching during that time. And I was watching a television programme called Our Zoo. And there was a scene in it with these penguins. And just suddenly, you know, it's very hard to look at a penguin and not feel something because they are so glorious. And I just suddenly, they made me smile. And this little chink of light just kind of opened up to me. And I thought, right, well, if I can feel that in that second, I know I can get back to where I was. It's still in you. Yes, exactly. And you do have to kind of claw your way back out of it. I'm very bad at asking for help. And that's why I never went to see a doctor during that time. And I really should have, I think. But about a month later, somebody whisked Rose off for a little walk and gave me a couple of hours on my own. And from that, 
just poured out polar posters, sat down at the kitchen table and wrote reams and reams of notes on what would become Polar Post because the thing that kept me going during that time was that her first Christmas was coming up. And so that was my real focus. Yeah. Was making that first Christmas really special for her. And I wanted her to, you know, the things that had mattered to me as a child, I wanted to make them really special for her. And it was only in trying to do that, that I realised there was this gap in the market. You know, there was nothing like Polar Post out there. All the Christmassy websites were quite cartoon-like and I've always felt quite strongly that he's a man who would do things very, well, he'd do things properly. You know, he'd have the proper stationery (laughs) and he'd tell the stories. So it's really interesting to me because I still have those pieces of paper and you can go through them and literally tick off things like the Dasher and Dancer bar. It's all there. It literally just poured out in an hour or so. And <laughs> my friend came back and said, so have you had a nice time? And I sort of showed her what I'd done. And she, I think she thought, oh my goodness. I meant, you know, go and have a, a manicure or something. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was my way of getting out of that, really. But Charlotte, I mean, firstly, thank you for sharing that with us. And you so eloquently described what you went through there. And I know lots of listeners would have gone through similar or maybe are going through similar right now. And so I think that that's such a beautiful way that you described your vulnerability. And also, isn't it unbelievable? And if anyone is going through it, firstly, probably Charlotte would say, definitely seek you know, help. There are people who love you very much around you. Definitely. But also that business and you know I say this each time you know I'm not obsessed by business just because I love business I'm obsessed by business because business can be a life raft in so many other situations in our lives that we find ourselves you know in the majority of businesses I know started out of potentially more darkness than light mm. because it was a way of climbing out of a job someone hated or cancer recovery or grief divorce, you know, so many times that we need to find ourselves again. And I love that it outpoured for you that, you know, that's a lucky moment that you have. And you've kept those pieces of paper, which should be (laughs) framed. But it's quite amazing how we do doubt ourselves in those pieces of paper. So for anyone else scribbling, your scribbles are not the scribbles of a, a mad lady or man. It's the scribbles of a genius because I would say, and I'm not saying a genius, and then I go on to say about my scribbles, didn't mean it in that egotistical way, (laughs) but more (laughs) that I have those scribbles too from Not in the High Street, from Holly & Co. And it is almost unbelievable that you can go back to those things. And as you Mm. said, and when you said you ticked them off, it's just a, it's a magical thing. So those scribbles, far from being like your draft, I'm sure people can do scribbles and throw them away, Charlotte, but I'm almost mm. like, keep hold of them because oh, these definitely. are... I mean, they're the blueprint of what's to come, really. The, the, the blueprint of your vision and your imagination. And so did you have this? So you, it feels like you had a clear vision and you sort of started going for it. Did you have any naysayers at the time? Because, I mean, I find niches the most beautiful things in the world, but potentially Mm. to people who haven't 
don't understand that. <laughs> they could be like, yes, mm, Charlotte's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Father Christmas, really? <laughs> I think, yes, I think I think it's fair to say. I remember taking my parents to the pub and being like, right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it real. And then very quickly downing a pint in a sort of, oh gosh, here we go, strap yourselves in. And yes, I mean, those first few years, really, The trouble with having a business that is just Christmas is you are building up momentum Mm -hmm. and building up momentum over those few months. And then it stops because Christmas is over. And of course, at the time, you know, I was really using Instagram to get the business started. There were no stories in those days, those ancient days without stories. So, and you can't be putting on your grid all the time posts that, you know, about Christmas in February. Nobody wants to see that. So there was no real way of communicating with that, what was a very small community at the time for several months of the year, the best part of the year, to be honest. So then you'd go at it again come September and you'd be building up momentum, building up momentum, and it would all stop again. And it was very like that for the first few years and nothing other than sheer sort of, you have to have that complete vision in your mind and determination that actually, no, I really, really believe in this and I really know it can work. You have to hold on to that because it took a long time, I think, for nobody ever, certainly not not the people close to me ever said, oh, Charlotte, you sure about this? But I remember feeling, you know, if I went to a drinks party or something and someone, I was dreading them asking what it was I did (laughs) because I, you know, I knew that there'd be that slight sort of eye roll. And I think... I don't know. I remember one person always going, are you still doing that Polar Express thing then, Charlotte? <laughs> Polar Post. It's called Polar, Polar Post. Post. <laughs> whole thing in the name. I mean, actually, for people listening who might not know what the essence of your business is, just this is a right time to, to tell people. Yes. So, I mean, essentially what we do is letters to and from Father Christmas. That's very much where it started. But more than that, I mean, when I say I wanted to make it real, that is the essence of Polar Post, I think. Everything Mm -hmm. that we do, and we've incorporated lots of different things over the years, and it's grown quite organically, is it has that at its fundamental core, is I want a child to pick up Whatever it is, be it a chocolate bar or a letter or a rosette, a hamper, to pick it up and to be in no doubt where it's come from, that it has yeah. come from the North Pole. Because I I really felt that when I was little, children are quite forensic about things. And especially when they get to a certain age, they are looking. They are yes. looking for the signs and <laughs> down to like, let's just have a little look where this toy was made then, shall we? And so I wanted to have that level of detail in there so that a child would pick up whatever it was and think, OK, this is the real deal. And the calligraphy, I mean, did you just pick that up? Has it taken you a long time? I know you have help as well, but... I do. That's a huge part of your 
your brand, isn't it? It is, it is. I haven't actually written a letter for a while now, but I love the calligraphy side of things. And I love it because, you know, you talk about those golden threads and I think this is one of them for me. And I'm sort of going through that a bit with my daughter at the moment. We are not a family of tripod grippers. And I feel you're so blessed in life if you're a natural tripod gripper. What is a tripod gripper? You know, when you go to school, that's what teachers are looking for, to have the tripod grip when you hold a pencil. Yeah, when you hold your pencil, you're meant to hold it in this specific way, the tripod grip. Correct, yes, the tripod grip. I'm looking at my pen in my hand right now. Yeah. Are you a tripod gripper? I'm a classic tripod grip, I think I am. Oh, you see, you're so lucky. But my son, I looked at his A-level work last night and I just Mm. watched the way he was writing. And I was like, how are you (laughs) holding that pen? And I was like, I'm such a bad mother for just noticing this. No, I I have noticed it before, but he's not a tripod grip. Right. Yes. And I bet it's been mentioned at some point along the way. It has been mentioned. Teachers do love a tripod grip. And it was, you know, I hold mine in a very specific way. And I had a teacher who dubbed it the bear claw. And I would try and force myself into something that didn't feel comfortable at all while she was around. And the second she disappeared, I'd slip back into the burglar. And, you know, there was this constant, your handwriting will never be nice if you keep holding the pen like that. I honestly don't know what that is all about. I'd love a teacher to explain to me the benefits of the tripod grip, because I honestly think, you know, do what feels comfortable, surely. And I remember when I was at secondary school, we had a lady came in and she was a calligrapher. I think we were having one of those sort of, you know, special afternoons where you were trying out you fun stuff. You do something stuff. creative, you know, yes, for those yes, creative exactly. folks, you know, out yeah, there. Yeah, 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 you know. exactly. Here's your half an hour. And this woman came in and she showed us how to do calligraphy. And it was, oh, I think it was maybe my favourite hour at school. I thought she was extraordinary. And she she spent real time with me and said, you know, you're good at this. And it was the first time someone was not commenting on the bear claw here. And so in the next lesson I went to, I thought, right, this is how I'm going to write. I'm going to completely change my handwriting right here, right now. That's unbelievable. And I started writing with this sort of calligraphic hand, very italic at the time. I probably would have been about 13. And I remember going into my sort of GCSE years and the school phoning my mum and saying, she's got to change her handwriting because nobody can read it and it's going to hold her up in its arms. And my mum put her foot down and said, no, that is part of who she is now. And... I will not ask her to change her handwriting. Good old mum. Yeah, I know. So, yes, I've always sort of taken great pride in my handwriting. And so I started Polar Post with me doing all the envelopes. I remember the first evening I sat down with my little pile and I thought, gosh, this is heaven. I had my gin and tonic by me and I was writing away. And it was only the next morning when I got up and realised I'd made that many mistakes in it that, you know, actually I had to be completely teetotal during the Polar Post months. (laughs) I love it. But, you know, also what I just love is that so many of our businesses, you have that sort of 
the soulful truth, which it takes us out of darkness. But then there's also, there's this fun that founders can have, sticking their middle finger up to people of their past. Yes. So there you are going, you're the bear claw girl. Yeah, yeah, but you've yeah. actually created an entire business based on the essence of gorgeous handwriting, which I just think is absolutely hilarious. This is what I was sort of trying to say to my daughter the other day because she was obsessing over the tripod grip. She's a bear claw girl herself. And I said, look, darling, I've been here, done that, got the T-shirt. Has it held me back? No, it's OK. I've set up a business and the whole premise of it is handwriting. With so, the bear claw? With the bear claw, you'll be <laughs> all right. Because <laughs> she was going, you need to buy me one of these tripod grip pens. And I said, no, I'm not going to. You'll go far, my love. You'll go you'll far, go with, far that with that claw. bear claw. <laughs> As you know, I'm passionate about celebrating small businesses and championing creativity within all of us. That's why I'm thrilled to be working with Adobe Express, who each week are handing over their ad break to a small business founder, shining a light on their own businesses and sharing how Adobe Express really is helping fuel their creativity. Hello, my name is Victoria Jenkins and I am the founder of Unhidden a socially responsible, adaptive and universally designed fashion brand for people with and without disabilities. I am on a mission to normalise universal design so that everybody has the same right to self-expression through fashion. Did you know that one in five people in the UK have a disability and yet currently there are more ranges for dogs than there are for people with disabilities represented within fashion? As the first adaptive brand to join the British Fashion Council, it is absolutely vital that everyone becomes aware of the world's largest marginalised community and starts to include it. As a disabled creative, my time and energy is somewhat compromised. So what I really loved about Adobe Express was the range of templates and also the range of fonts because digital accessibility is at the heart of a lot of what I do online with my social media. Having really quick and easy ways to insert my branding, to make my content accessible and to be able to upload it direct from the platform is just such an energy and time saver for me. And it's been absolutely fantastic to play around with. If you want to find out more about what inclusive fashion really looks like, please go to our website, unhiddenclothing.com, or you can find us on Instagram at unhidden.uk. Thank you once more to Adobe, who have helped to make this podcast episode happen. If you want to find out more about Adobe Express and how it can help your business, head over to adobe.com slash go slash Holly Tucker. Now let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. So let me just ask you, there's lots of different letters for Polar Post. There's the Christmas morning letter, the Believe letter, and there's one very special letter called the Dexter letter. Will you tell me about who Dexter is? I would love to. So this would have been, I think, in about 2017, a lovely lady got in touch and her friend had just had a stillborn baby and that baby was Dexter and Christmas was coming up and she desperately wanted to bring some form of comfort into her friend's life at Christmas. She knew that Christmas was going to be really, really hard for her and she wondered if I would write 
a special letter for Dexter. And I was actually pregnant with my second child at the time. And so that letter really just sort of poured out of me. And we sent it to Ruth and Dave and they loved it. So I asked her permission if we could start having them on the website and sending them out to other families who were going through the same thing at Christmas with the proviso that the profits would go to Tommy's. And, Mm. you know, every year we very sadly get our little pile of Dexter letters. But they do bring comfort because it is such a difficult time of year for Mm. people who know loss like that. And it's really important to me, all children are included in Christmas. And so we we always take a moment on Christmas Eve to remember those babies and children um, because they are such an important part of Polar Post and always will be. Mm. Oh, what a... Mm, just have to compose myself there. What a very, very beautiful thing that you've created and has been created. And I can imagine the comfort that it brings. And it makes you... It does, again, make you realise all of the things that we can accomplish when we build businesses from the creativity angle, yourself and your depression that you were going through, to funny moments like the bear claw, to this, and how that's almost what makes the most beautiful, creative, emotional companies, is that all of those stories, all of those experiences all merge into one to create a brand. Could you share with me what, for those listening and maybe dreaming, you know, they just heard that story and they they dream about starting a business that's emotional and and one with true feeling behind it. What would you say to those who are, are worried about going for it? I I think you have to go into business. I don't know about you, but I think you have to go in with a big dollop of naivety mm. and learn on the job. And, you know, I look back at at things that I did at the beginning and think, oh, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe... You know, I can't believe you had the nerve to do it, but thank goodness I did. And the biggest sort of word of advice I could give is probably not to listen to too much advice Mm. because although obviously it's wonderful to get that practical advice, following your gut, I think, is what it's all about. I mean, they do say, don't they, that the gut is the second brain. Yes. And I find as I go along with Polar Post more and more, just to trust my gut in everything that I do. When I look back at things that have gone wrong, and there are plenty, it's interesting. I always, on some level, felt it in my gut that it was the wrong thing to do. And so for me, learning to trust that instinct, that's become really, really important. I don't know if you found the same. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I call it my compass now, in a way. It's mm. it, it actually, I have to sometimes remind myself that I should trust it. So I'm not completely mm-hmm. there yet. But no, no, no. as I get older, it is easier to listen to it. And I think that that's, the gut instinct is also replaying memories or experiences that you've yes. had. And it's 
it's one of those things that is, if you do tap into it, it's quite a magical superpower, I'd say. Definitely. It's, it's, it's something that allows you to say no to things. We, yes. You know, yes. majority of us listening, potentially are women, where we say yeah. yes to a lot mm-hmm. and actually being able to say no yes. because your gut instinct is saying no slightly yeah. gives you comfort yes. as well. Well, I was going to say, I'm a real people pleaser. So I often find myself wanting to go along with a course of action or a plan because I want that person to be happy. And meanwhile, the gut is saying, no, don't do it. Don't do it. It's a bad idea. And I now have to really sort of force myself to sort of go, no, I'm going to override that, that desire to make this person happy and listen to what my gut is telling me because it will be right. Yeah. And it does, by the way, it's a hundred percent right. A hundred percent of the time. So just out of interest, what sort of volume of letters is Polar Post now looking at? I suppose it's gone past the you sitting with the gin and tonic at the kitchen table. (laughs) It has. I now just go for neat whiskey. No, it's, uh, I try not to look at, because it can feel quite overwhelming, Holly, when you sort of think about it too much in terms of numbers. I think last year, I think we sent out, it was edging towards 20,000. Oh my goodness. Well, we sent out 5,000 letters to various charities and hospitals. So, yes, it has. And they're all handwritten. So we've introduced, because for me, the biggest challenge with this business has been growing it. Yeah. Because obviously what seems to happen with Polar Post, and I've tried to take it away from that, but now I've just learned to accept it, is that we get all our sales on opening night really. And I'd say 80% of them within the first half an hour. My goodness. So it's a real challenge. How do you translate that into getting those orders out? And there's a part of me that still desperately wants to be able to say the next day, right, orders are out. But I have to make my peace with the fact that magic doesn't work like that. It takes time. And this is, it's a handmade product predominantly. And we have an amazing team working all the time to make sure that those orders go out promptly. But the volume is challenging. It's challenging and extraordinary. I just can't get over that, actually. And, you know, what will it be next year? I mean, let's not talk about it because you freak out and you're right in the middle of this Christmas. So let's not go there. But it's this nostalgia, (sighs) isn't it? This craftsmanship that you've brought to the forefront. And these things have always, now we discover, been part of actually you. But yet it's almost part of all of us. It's that sort of inner child that you're speaking to. I love something that you referenced. You referenced George Bernard Shaw and his quote, we don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. And Mm, you've encapsulated that within your brand so exquisitely. You see, I think that that is why we all love Christmas, really. Mm. The extraordinary thing about Christmas is it does act as this bridge back to our childhood because those memories are so strong of our childhood Christmases, for a few days, we're allowed to kind of go back there and it, it, it makes a child out of all of us again. 
Yes, it does. Because actually, when you think of it, it's a day that you just all give presents to each other and you play games and you eat things and you're silly (laughs) and you have these things that you pull and they make a firecracker noise on the table. And actually, you're so right. If you look at it, it's a it's a beautiful thing. And it's something that you've done exquisitely well. And it's again, it's just a lesson for all of us that what other times and moments could you encapsulate in a brand? You know, that's the the interesting mm. thing. It's mm. never ending. Yes. Can I ask yeah. you, when when you've grown this business, okay, so we're 20,000 beautiful letters in and you're growing and you started this business, correct me if I'm wrong, in 2015. That's right. Yeah. But I wanted to talk to you about as we grow and as the small business community grows, and and you and I have touched on this personally, small Mm. business founders and the community, we're strong when we're together, but we also can receive moments in time that really challenge us, such as copying. Mm. And I know that this has been something, and you know, I've had fantastic guests that are handbag designers and fragrance companies and et cetera, et cetera. And and copying is something that we all have to deal with. It's just, Mm. it is part of it. But I can imagine it's incredibly difficult. Explain what it feels like when you're copied. (laughs) It's extremely emotional, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I always use this analogy that it's a bit like someone sort of breaking into your house and having a little rifle through your knicker drawer. It's that sort of Mm. feeling. And I think the more personal your business is and the more of yourself that you've brought into it, the more that's going to hurt. It is a really nuanced subject, copying. And there is a huge spectrum, as you and I both know. I feel like I've experienced most aspects of that spectrum now. And it is a struggle because... What you and I view as copying, quite often the law doesn't. So, you know, my advice to anybody starting a business would be to make sure that those foundations are in place and that you are protecting your intellectual property because as much as you're in those early days and you you don't even know if you've got something worth protecting, you do, I promise you. If it's original, you do. It's expensive, I know, but I really think it is worth putting in those foundations and trying to protect as much as you can because there's no point in growing a business if the stable door's wide open. And that's been a huge thing for me in the last few years is just making sure that we have protected every area that we can So that at least when things happen, and they happen on the regular, I can sleep a bit more easily at night. Just yesterday morning, a lovely follower got in touch and showed me a chocolate bar that was a Dasher bar and a real sort of copy of our Dasher and Dancer bar. (laughs) I mean, your stomach Mm. sort of does that thing. You think, oh gosh, I'm going to be sick. And at least the Dasher and Dancer bar is trademarked. It has design rights. At least now I can look at that bar and think, yes, that is a horrible copy. But that bar is completely safe because we have put those foundations in place. Yeah. And so it's a horrid thing, but at least I've done what I can. 
And you've done what you can, but what we're hopefully going to work on is trying to change the law because ultimately Mm. I do feel that the small business community is unprotected for the nuances that are hard to describe Mm -hmm. in a podcast. But it's why, you know, lots of big brands use this community as sort of a a sort of bed of innovation that they can Mm. take from. And, And unfortunately, other small businesses taking from each other. And I think there is enough amazing ideas and creativity and customers Mm -hmm. to go around for everybody until eternity. And what we've just got to do is stay in our places and be kind to each other, treat others like you would like to Mm -hmm. be treated. And I think that's such an important message. So thank you for sharing that. And I couldn't agree with you more about do the foundations, everyone, protect yourself because you do not want that sick feeling in your stomach that someone's going to take everything away from you. There's nothing like it. But on a more happier note, Charlotte, tell me, had there been any requests that you can remember from children that have really stuck with you over the years? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yes. Father Christmas does get asked for some extraordinary things. (laughs) Go on, tell me. Oh, I mean, everything imaginable. Personally, I really love the very specific ones. We had a child who asked for a model of Mars the size of a walnut. I mean, I would just love to get inside that child's brain. I mean... I love how specific that is. We had a child the other day who all he wanted for Christmas was a rubbish bin. My goodness. And I love the ones that sort of ask for a satsuma, Holly, um, because I think, oh, bless you. Humble satsuma. And then on the other end of the spectrum, could I have a live shark? I don't know how he does the job, Holly. I really don't. I don't know how he does it, but every time. Oh, I know. And you're getting ready for this big night and your elves are busy away Aww. addressing envelopes and things. Do you have any personal favourite Christmas traditions? I do. What's interesting when you have a Christmas business is it fundamentally changes the nature of Christmas for I you. I can imagine, Charlotte. I can imagine... You don't want to say the name Christmas by Christmas Day. No, but that sort of build up, you know, I'm starting to, well, I hear tales of, because I don't leave the house, of people putting their Christmas trees up now, Holly. And, you know, we don't have that build up in this house any longer because we are so focused on on our slightly immovable deadline. Yes. Uh, And this is the first year, actually, because my daughter, Rose, is eight. It suddenly hit me. I have never done anything Christmassy with her, which is a terrible sort of feeling. And I don't want her to sort of look back and think, oh, well, you know, it's just this awful time when mum just had (laughs) her head down. Exactly. So, you know, for the first time ever, I'm going to take the day off and we're going to go to Lapland, UK, which I'm very excited about. But no, generally for us, Christmas starts 23rd of December. And so because I am, let's call it what it is, a complete control freak when it comes to the Christmas tree, I will not let anybody put it up until I can be present and oversee. So we've gone from being, you know, we were always quite restrained about putting up the Christmas tree, sort of 13th, 14th of December kind of people. We're now Christmas Eve's. And um, 
I tell you, the great thing about doing that, this is a little tip, my husband is always saying no, no, no to a really huge tree. If you go on Christmas Eve, there is only ever one tree left and it's the one that's too big for anybody else. Brilliant. And the people selling it are always just by that point desperate to just be rid of this tree. So they'll help you get it to your destination. No problem. Yeah. And I also think even if you get a tree that's meant to not shed its needles, sorry, haven't ever received mm-hmm. a tree that doesn't. And so I can imagine Christmas Eve, it means you've got a really nice looking tree, whereas my we tree on Christmas Day is pretty shriveled. However much water this trunk is meant to drink, it yeah. never actually drinks any of the water. And I'm always saying to Frank, have you filled that up? Because it's looking very dry. And he's like, Holly, can't fill up any more water. Uh, just talking on your daughter, just before, because we're coming to the end of this podcast and I'm going to ask mm. you about your roller coaster and your biggest high and low. But when you said you're taking the day off, you're going to do something Mm. Christmassy with your daughter. I think this is one of the hidden parts of running a business, which is how do we cope with family and wanting to keep tradition with her and time and quality of time and things like that? How has it been raising your children and running a business? I sort of look back on, I had to go on a I didn't have to. I was asked onto a panel when I was probably in my second year of business. And one of the things that they asked was, you know, how did I cope with the guilt? And I sort of said something completely off the cuff about, well, you know, I I feel like I'm setting an example and to learn and I just don't allow myself to feel the guilt. And I look back on that now and I cringe inside because, you know, I was probably (laughs) sending out 12 letters or something. And that guilt... At times, I find utterly crippling and it's always, you know, I can cope with the work and the hours that we put in. And the thing that always makes me say, right, we need to close our books now is the guilt. It Mm -hmm. always gets too much. I reach a point where I think I can't do this to the children any longer. And it's very, very hard. I look back at 2020, which was when the business really sort of exploded in growth. And I really just had to get my head down for months. And I remember coming back to my desk and Rose had written me a little note with the bear claw saying, I'm so proud of you. And I've got that kept safe because she really meant it. Mm. And I have to really sort of hold on to that, that I am doing it for us as a family. Yeah. Really. And going back to your 12-letter period of time, <laughs> you were right. You were right. You know, you are yes, setting an example. Yes, I did have a point. You'd, yeah. you'd had a very good point. It's like your scribbles, you know. They weren't just scribbles. It's the truth. We are doing something extraordinary. It's not easy. People no. think a nine-to-five is easier. Well, they'd be right because it's not easy because you've got all no. of these things that you're juggling including your own emotions and trying yes. to work out, have I pushed it too far or am I being a great role model? Which one is it today? Yeah, and some days you'll just lose yes. the fight. 
right. Sometimes you're just a terrible mum. That's as far as you're concerned. Yeah. And actually, <laughs> there's no getting yes. out of it. I just absolutely yeah. have loved this, Charlotte. I think it's just oh. been a beautiful time for us to share. But I'd love to also now take you to that roller coaster. Definitely you'd be in the winter wonderland, wouldn't you? And there would be reindeer and maybe your roller coaster would be pulled by Rudolph himself. I'd love that. Tell me what has been your biggest low so far. Right, the biggest low. To be fair, there have been a few. But thinking about this question, I think there are the lows that you experience once you've become a reasonably established brand. And they're never quite as low as the lows you feel when you're not an established brand. So I would say the first, you know, three, four years of Polar Post, I felt like I was kind of grappling around in the dark and clinging on to what I hoped was something, but really having no idea if anything would come of it. And as we talked about earlier, there were those sort of moments where people would almost roll their eyes when I said what it was that I did. And then along came one of the big department stores in London, said, we love Polar Post, we'd love to have you in store, we'd love to have you, you know, set up a stand. And this would have been my third Christmas. And we were in negotiations for about six months. And I was so happy and excited about it because it was that stamp of approval that I mm. so desperately needed at that time just to have the will to keep going really and yes I couldn't wait to let people know gosh guess where Polar Post is because I felt suddenly people might take me and the business more seriously and so we'd been through a lot of negotiations we'd been through you know the data protection side of things and and all the rest of it and it was the day before I was due to go in and basically explain to the staff there how it all worked. And I received an email just saying, sorry, no can do sort of thing any longer. And we've we've got a clash with another department. And then that was it, really. And I tried phoning, nobody picked up the phone. And it how was disgusting. Such, it was such a crushing moment, I can't tell you, because so much, I think, mentally had been riding on being in there and being able to showcase it in that way. That did take quite a lot of getting over, really. Yeah. And a year later, a different um, department store got in touch and said, we'd love to have Bola Bosa. And it was one of those, you know, we talked about the gut. It was one of those gut feelings. I just thought, no, actually, I don't want to get involved in that again. From there on in, I didn't do fairs or really have any kind of external presence outside of the website. And I think, actually, that is a real strength of Polar Post mm. because the last thing in the world I want is for a child to go into a department store and go, oh, look, yeah, there's Polar Post. There's my chocolate bar. Because that's not how it works, is it? Not you know, at all. It's all safely ensconced at the North Pole. So it was a real low, but it taught me so much and it sort of made me bring the whole thing just back a level and put up a veil, I suppose, 
And I think that's a really important part of Polar Post because it adds to the whole mystery yeah. of the thing. Yeah, I love it. I don't love your experience. I think it's absolutely <laughs> appalling behaviour from someone larger to someone smaller. I just don't the stock that must have been created, all these sorts of things. Mm. Conversely, the greatest high, what would that have been? I really sort of, I had to think about hard, this one a I bit. I imagine. It is hard. And it feels wrong to say, to call 2020 a high in any way. But it's probably what I'm most proud of with Polar Post because it was such a difficult year, wasn't it? And it was mm. so difficult for children as well, who really bore so much of the burden of those lockdowns, having their lives changed in that hugely dramatic way. And I really saw it with my own children. And we had our Christmas all planned, the 2020 Christmas, really when the pandemic started. I was watching my children and they were scared, you know, as much mm. as you sort of try and keep it from them or protect them. It was a scary time and they had a lot of questions. And I thought, no, we need to do the whole thing completely differently. We need to go back to the drawing board and really think, what is it that children are going to need from us this year? Because I don't know about you, but that moment when the Queen came on and gave her speech during the pandemic was a real moment of just, okay, it's all going to be all right. Because yeah. I think a lot of adults took great comfort in that. And Father Christmas, you know, he has that extraordinary power with children. He's not just the guy who brings the presents. He has an incredible ability to comfort children. And they needed him in that hour of need. And so he wanted to do a flyby at the midsummer and children sort of got involved in that just so that he could <laughs> say, I'm with you, I'm thinking of you and we're going to try and do the impossible here at the North Pole to show you that we're with you. And so from that whole time came the first book that I did with Claire, lovely Claire Fletcher, a Time for Magic. And the book did so well, which was wonderful. Just such a lovely thing to see. And I get messages from people now who say, this is my child's favourite book and we read it every night. And do you have another copy? Because the pages are falling apart. And over these last few years, it's given so much comfort. That idea that Father Christmas and his pals are by my child's side. That to me is what Polar Post is all about. Gosh, you've had me in tears twice already and you haven't even read your letter yet, Charlotte. I don't know what's <laughs> going on. That's just a beautiful, it's an extraordinary, our businesses, our brands if we do it right, can be so emotionally connected to our customers Definitely. in a way that partakes in their life, not just because they're consuming it, but partakes in their life becomes an important part of their lives. And mm. you're a great example of nailing this. And I cannot wait to see what you do in the future. But um, Charlotte, on this note, it is your time to read a letter to your younger self. I don't know if you wrote it with your bear claw, <laughs> but I'm so looking forward to it. And I just wanted to say thank you for, for taking the time to write it in the first place amongst all the other letters that are being written. 
Well, funny you should say that, Holly. I hope you're not going to mind, but I actually, I had a word with Father Christmas to see if he uh -huh. would write this letter for me to my wow. younger self. The big man and has he written agreed. it. Yeah, no, he did, he did. He's agreed to do that. So, yeah. This is a Conversations of Inspiration first, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. We have you. Father Christmas here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep, well, over to, my over to you and him. Okay, thank you. Dear Charlotte, we didn't get off to the greatest start, you and I, did we? There was the small matter of me taking your bottle that Christmas Eve when you were two years old. I mean, you say stole. I still say I gave you a sippy cup in exchange, but the outrage it caused on Christmas morning has become the stuff of family legend. That will become a bit of a theme with you, to be honest, this need to cling on to your childhood relics, but more on that in a minute. You'll be called chai at school, but you're not really. One day you'll even do these things called podcasts. What you are is quiet, or at least you need quiet in your life to function. In a noisy classroom, or indeed a noisy world, it's not always an easy thing to be. But you need to make sure you carve out those moments, because that is where the magic happens. It's only by being quiet that you can slip away to those internal worlds you'll build. Those worlds, by the way, are important. They will save you time and time again in your hour of need. And one day, you'll even get to share them with other people. And they'll like what they see. And you'll realise that being quiet has as much merit as anything else. You'll find growing up hard to do. When all your peers start to discover the delights of snogging boys and drinking cider in parks, you'll be found clinging on for dear life to the toys you still love and aren't ready to leave behind. You cling away. Everything in good time. You too will one day snog a boy. And you'll even enjoy the odd pint of cider. And because you're an all or nothing kind of girl, when you do discover those delights, you'll go after them in quite a big way. In fact... For a little while, I think it's fair to say you fall off the nice list. As for the sleepless nights you give your poor mother, well, let's just say I hope you'll be buying her a very nice Christmas present. There'll be the slightly tiresome phase where you tell everyone that you're actually French and insist on introducing yourself as Charlotte Dubois. It does pass. You'll leave school and go on to university having not a single clue what you want to do with your life, but following the crowd for want of a better plan. You'll feel lost during those years, desperately lost. Did I mention growing up is hard to do? And then one day, you'll be brave enough to voice an opinion on the matter. And though it might not be the surest plan, you'll follow it through and find happiness in a world you'd barred yourself from for no apparent reason. You'll have some pretty atrocious taste in boyfriends. Why you feel the need to repeatedly go for men who belong on the naughty list is beyond me. But when the right man comes along, a man who represents all those old-fashioned words you didn't even know you were looking for, you'll recognise him for the jewel that he is, and you'll be wise enough by then to close the door on drama and pain. One day, you'll become a mother. Only it won't be all cashmere bonnets and coffees and shishi cafes like you'd imagined. It will take you somewhere dark in the beginning, somewhere you never imagined you'd go, and you'll need those internal worlds I spoke about earlier to help you find the light again. But find it, you will. This time will fundamentally change who you are. To quote someone else who knew a thing or two about Christmas, 
Charles Dickens, who wrote in Great Expectations, I have been bent and broken, but, I hope, into a better shape. This beginning into motherhood will not define you or your relationship with your children. It will only serve to make you appreciate the time you have with them still more. If you let them, your children will take you on the greatest adventure of them all. You'll get to see the world through their eyes, and they will reveal to you all their secrets and all their magic. And together, you'll build something with that magic, and you'll come to realise that the thing you dreaded most, growing up, is really just an illusion. You will always be welcomed back to the realms of childhood. So you will come to see that we've come a long way, you and me. Where we go next is anyone's guess. But I hope by now you've learned one truth, that anything is possible, so long as you believe. Yours always, Father Christmas. <laughs> oh, I'm in absolute floods. What have you done? My gosh. What a beautiful letter. Oh, you have a voice that feels like my mother's reading to me. Oh, and you just—what a beautiful, beautiful letter! And I think this is your absolute magic that you transported me back to being a younger Holly. And I'm sure everyone listening has got tears in their eyes. And that's what you have done, and it's what your brand does, and it's because of who you are. And I just—I just think it's just the most beautiful example of a. 360 of a brand that is emotionally connecting to all of us and thank god you created it so thank you thank you holly that's very kind oh. thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and the most beautiful letter i just oh. got i felt like the queen was just speaking to us again there it was just such a lovely oh, moment what a lovely well charlotte thing to say. thank you so much for being with us and taking us to the north pole Early it's been such a joy, year. Holly. Thank you so much for having thank me. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Before you go, don't forget to head to adobe.com slash go slash Holly Tucker to find out how Adobe Express can fuel creativity in your business. And if you've enjoyed this episode, if it's helped you along your journey or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support means the world to me. It really does spread the word and will help inspire even more people to build a life they love. And if you want to hear all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co. Mm-hmm.